are today continuing in this series we've been doing called What a Not-So-Wonderful World. And uh, it's this series we've been doing on Ecclesiastes, and it's just short. We're probably going to wrap it up next week. But uh, we started it off by saying, you know, Ecclesiastes is a little bit of a difficult book to read. We started it off saying, what a wonderful world, right? And then somebody goes, are you kidding me? Have you read the news? Have you watched TV? It's not a wonderful world. And, and Ecclesiastes is this guy who, who says he tried everything, and it's all meaningless, and, and that's, that's difficult for us because we like our faith to be simple. We like our faith to be very black and white, very yes and no. Everything works the way it's supposed to. Prayers should be answered. And, and we have this expectation that there should be meaning and there should be satisfaction in life, right? We all have this expectation of that. We all have this expectation that there should be answers and there should be a really um, clear path to, to a long, fulfilled happy life. That's how things should be. We, we want a reason to smile in the morning, right? We want a reason to get up in the morning. We want to see something that just, just makes us smile a little bit, even if it's just silly. You know, something that brings us pleasure, even if it's just simple or momentary, like, like maybe a, a sunset, right? Or the taste of the perfect curry, or maybe a, a perfectly timed joke, or even something like, like, I don't know, puppies and a toddler, just tackling each other out of just the entire joy of being able to do so. And some of you right now are going, does she know it's on the screen? Are we allowed to laugh? We're in church. I don't know if we're allowed to laugh. And maybe, you know, and some of us get a little bit uncomfortable with it. And we get a little uncomfortable going, well, I'm not sure if we should be smiling because life is a serious business and life gets difficult and our questions aren't answered. And then what do we do when we can't find the meeting and we start thinking that, that life is very, very serious and it can be very depressing, and we need to just take charge of things and not waste time with, with silly laughter or giggles or anything like that. So Friday, this past Friday on Twitter, I was uh, scrolling past, and I saw uh, one of my friends who lives in a different country, and they, they posted on Twitter. They said, you know, I see all the headlines coming out of Canada, and I just wonder, is Canada just, is it just an awful place to live now? And I said, what? No! Canada's awesome. This is a great, it's not perfect, but it's a great place to live. And then on Thursday, the day before, I heard, you know, the more on the news, we all hear stuff on the news, and I heard more on the news about another church and another place, and they just made some bad decisions, and, and stuff happened, and it was wrong, and it was bad, and the fallout is just difficult. And I honestly, I went, I went and I prayed, and I just cried, going, oh, God, like, like, I hate it when our, church, when our churches do things wrong and when we mess it up. And it's easy, you know, when we see all that stuff, to kind of sink. To kind of sink into a dark place of going, well, life's a little bit difficult. It's a little bit dark. It's a little bit depressing. And, and everybody else is watching puppies and a toddler. And, and we're going, what's the point? I mean, everything is just meaningless. If that's you, Ecclesiastes is for you. Ecclesiastes is written by uh, a cynic, by a skeptic, somebody who just folds their arms and sits back and looks and goes, they're not, they're not going to take anything at face value. They don't believe anything. They might, be, they might really agonize over all the stuff that they see happening. They might wonder why everybody else seems to have it together and everybody else gets it and they don't. 
or they might wonder why they're the only ones that get it and what's wrong with everybody else. Everybody else can't see how bad the world is. And so there's a lot of tough questions in Ecclesiastes, and we said, let's just tackle them, and let's see if we can find a little bit of hope in, in some of the stuff that's there. And so last week we talked about work. And we talked about uh, the difficulties of work, that work can be good, but there's no guaranteed legacy. And you can, you can do all the work that you want to do and feel really good about what you've accomplished. And you have no control over somebody else coming along after you're gone and just undoing everything that you've done. And we talked about sometimes we get, we get pulled into the trap of being a workaholic or we get pulled into the trap of just thinking our work is our identity. That's where our value is. And we said in the end, work is meaningless. That's the word of Ecclesiastes. Work is meaningless if it's separate from everything else. So we said, but in the end, when we balanced it off with the rest of scripture, we said, well, you know, work is, work is good. God, God created us to have work. God created us to, to have find fulfillment and find satisfaction in what we do. It's just not where we find identity. It's not where we find our value. It doesn't give meaning to our lives, that's God's job to do that. It's God's job to give us meaning and fulfillment and identity, and hope is found when we find our identity in him, and then we invite God into our work and to be part of that and to work his purposes through us. So we talked about work last week. Today, I thought we'd go to the opposite end and talk about pleasure, the things that make us smile, the things that make us feel good, the things that make us laugh, things that we enjoy, even things like puppies and a toddler fighting it out on a screen and falling over each other. And some of you guys, you know, you really loved that, right? Some of you were like, oh, that's great. Okay. Some of you have already tweeted, our pastor showed puppies on a screen this morning in church. Some of you are already irritated because you're not sure you're allowed to have joy like that in church. Not sure you're allowed to have fun, and some of you are already composing an email to me, and that's fine, because you feel that we're not supposed to giggle in God's presence, and that's fine. You know, either way, however, anyway, it's all meaningless anyway, according to Ecclesiastes. Even pleasure is meaningless. So here's some of what Ecclesiastes has to say about pleasure. Chapter 1, verse 8. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. How many of you would like this person at your next dinner party? Right? Isn't that, don't you wish, I mean, could you imagine if we had greeters standing at the front doors of the church, and and when you came in, they didn't say to you, hey, welcome home, it's a good day, but they welcomed people in to, to our service this morning by saying, you know, everything is wearisome beyond description. Can I just tell you that is not the person I want greeting you at the front doors? Not, not you know, good morning, everything is wearisome. It just doesn't roll quite off the tongue so nicely. I really prefer that we go, hey, it's a good day. And, and it goes on. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. So he did. The guy that wrote Ecclesiastes tried everything. Apparently, he had the resources to do it. Apparently, he had the time to do it. And he said, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm going to try all the different pleasures that I can, and I'm going to find the meaning of life. And so he tried everything, everything that is associated with pleasure, 
Everything that's associated with a good time and feeling good, food, drink, sex, friends, sunrises, riches. Maybe he tried sports. Maybe he tried skydiving. Maybe he went and bought the most expensive, exquisite coffee in the world just, just to taste it and have the pleasure of tasting it. Um, maybe, maybe he went, maybe if he lived in Quebec, maybe he went to Just for Laughs. Or maybe he went to Nuit Blanche, you know, for the, for the perfect evening of, of pleasure and fun. Maybe he flew kites. Maybe he swam with dolphins. Maybe he climbed a mountain. Maybe he ate poutine or smoked meat, or steamies, which some of you get very excited about, and I don't know why. But he did, he did it all. He did it all. Everything that he could think of to find pleasure. And here's what he said. You ready? Chapter 2, verse 1. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? So after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. Yeah, that's going to work. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. And, and you go, well, obviously he just didn't try hard enough. Obviously he didn't really pursue pleasure with everything that was in him. That's why he didn't get anything good out of it. No, you're wrong. Chapter 2, verse 10, he said, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. So he goes, well, that's not working out. The pleasure's not working out. The, the, all of the food and the wine and all of that stuff, that's not. So let's just forget that nonsense. Let's forgive the, forget the whole foolishness. Let's be sensible and let's be wise. No more, no more just pleasure just for the sake of enjoying life. So chapter 2, verse 12. So I decided to compare wisdom with foolishness and madness. For who can do this better than I, the king? He's putting himself in the king's place. And I thought wisdom is better than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise can see where they're going, but fools walk in the dark. How many go, well, that sounds right. That sounds right, right? It's a trap. Don't raise your hand. Yet I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. So I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. For the wise and the foolish both die. The wise will not be remembered any longer than the fool and in the days to come, both will be forgotten. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Pleasure is meaningless the teacher in Ecclesiastes says. Now, can I just say right out loud what, what really needs to be said? I mean, this cannot be a surprise to most of us, that pleasure on its own is meaningless. I mean, just, just take a look around our world. We live in, we, we, live, we have more convenience, we have more pleasure, 
We have more everything than we have ever had in the history of the world. We have more technology. We have more, we have more everything. And we are rich compared to most of the people on this globe. If you are here today and you have had breakfast or you're going to have lunch and you have a roof over your head, we are rich compared to most of the people that live on this planet that we live on whirling throughout the heavens. And we have more convenience and more pleasure and more everything than, than most of the world has ever had. And yet, and yet, our society lives in a constant state of outrage and offense. And we have skyrocketing rates of depression and anxiety. We're messed up. Pleasure is not doing it for us. Lottery winners, you know, they win the lottery and all the ads and all the promos say, if you win the lottery, woo, everything will be great from now on. But the statistics and the stories tell a different scenario where somebody wins the lottery and their life is destroyed. Their relationships with family and friends is wrecked. Some of them end up, they, they quit their job and now they have no more purpose. They end up spending it all, blowing all their money. It's all different stories, but over and over again, that scenario gets repeated. Um, we have, you know, for pleasure, we, we live in a world today that is very, very, very big on se- all kinds of sexual freedom. And I, I hate to break it to you, but we are broken we have all of this sexual freedom, and we are, we are confused, and we are abused, and we are used, and some of us are addicted to different uh, behaviors, sexual behaviors. I remember years ago, a young adult coming into my office, and she's just the loveliest girl, just wonderful, and she had this really gentle heart, such a soft spirit, and she, had been, she hadn't been raised in any kind of faith at all, and, and she had gone into depression and stuff while she was in high school and university, and she said, well, in order to get out of this, I'm going to try everything that I can. I'm going to try every pleasure that I can and see if I can find meaning in it, and she tried it all, and she tried everything, especially in sexual behaviors, and she came to me just destroyed. And she cried in my office saying, why didn't anybody warn me? Why didn't anybody tell me that there's a cost to all of this pleasure and that I'm broken now and I'm just, I'm just wrecked on the inside? Because and, and, you know, we walked her through to finding healing in God and all of that. But I, I'm just telling you, we are, we are a broken society in many ways. We have, we have rich, tasty foods at our fingertips. If you think we do, we do in the downstairs right now. If you go out on St. Catherine Street, there's all kinds of food from all over the world, and it's so good, and it's so pleasurable to eat it. And I don't want to say this out loud, but we've become gluttons as a society. And we have skyrocketing rates of diabetes and obesity and heart disease as we overindulge in the various pleasures of life. And then we can access just about any pleasure we want through our phones, through our phones and through our tablets and all of the little, you know, devices that we have. There are apps and there are games that are specifically designed to keep you engaged. They are specifically designed to keep you attached to a world that is not real, to a world that that doesn't quite exist. It's in the cloud or it's virtual or whatever. And just do, you know, just one more click, one more click, one more screen. 
Um, one more level on this game. I just got to go one more level and the music keeps me going. Or one more like, right? How many times do we pick up our phone and we just scroll through to go, hey, did somebody else like what I wrote? Like what I wrote as if that has some kind of a meaning to it. And, and each one of us, every time something comes in or our phone dings or something lights up on our screen or we get one more, you know, whatever, we get a little shot of thrill. We get a little shot of pleasure. And so we stick around for a little bit more until we start getting a little bit addicted to some of the stuff on our phones. And we're completely disconnected from the real life around us. How many are glad you came to church today? <laughs> Pleasure, too much of it, without boundaries, without any guidelines, without anything else, without balance, it pleasure just becomes meaningless and it becomes boring and it becomes destructive and it becomes addictive. And at best, without any boundaries or balance, if pleasure has no boundaries and no balance, at best, it's going to be a distraction from anything that does have meaning in our lives, and it's going to distract us away from that. And yet, and yet, somebody goes, okay, so no more pleasure. No, 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 no. The answer is not to have no pleasure at all. Jesus' first miracle it was about turning water into wine, making a wedding party a better celebration. Um, Abraham, when he named his son Isaac, do you know what Isaac means? Laughter. Laughter was considered to be a good thing. And Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. A broken spirit exhausts us and breaks us on the inside. But a good laugh, a cheerful heart, some joy that happens in the morning, that's, it's good medicine. It's good for us. We talked about this uh, maybe about a year ago when we talked about where we live, that we live here in the province of Quebec, and, and we're part of Quebec culture, and here in Montreal, and, and we talked about uh, one of the values that Quebecers tend to have, and one of, the, one of the values that Quebecers tend to have is this value of pleasure, joie de vivre, right? The joy of life, the joy of just the moment that we're in, and it's a value of Quebec culture that's a little bit different from the rest of Canada. Not that the rest of Canada is in a bad mood all the time, but Quebec really values, right, just, just the joy of life. And Quebecers, if they self-report in the, in, in the surveys and the studies that they found, Quebecers report themselves as the happiest people in Canada. They're happy. We're ha we, we value living in the moment. We, we love music. We love humor. We love food. We love, oh my word, we love festivals. We have hundreds of festivals across this province and in this city all the time. You can go somewhere and there will be a festival. That's, that's the world that we live in. That's the culture that we live in. And when we talked about that last year, we talked about how we interact with that as Christians in this series that we did, What If Jesus Was a Quebecer? And some of you were here for that. And we said, well, I think Jesus would have found common ground with this value of pleasure and fun and enjoying life because the critics, anybody that criticized him, they didn't criticize him saying, oh, he's too serious. They criticized him because they thought he was a little too happy. And they criticized him because they said, well, you eat too much and you're drunk. They called him a drunk and they said, and you're hanging out with the wrong people, with sinners. And, 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 and so we talked about that. And then we said, you know, sometimes the Christian church hasn't always handled that very well. So sometimes 
the, the Christian church in general, when we look at pleasure, sometimes we've reacted really strongly one way and we've criticized pleasure. And we have, we have folded our arms and we have gotten very serious. And if we want to make a point, we rock up on our toes like that, right? And we have frowned on too much joy. You can have the joy of the Lord, but don't let it show on your face. And we, we can be a little bit critical, and we worry that maybe just the simple pleasures of life, maybe I'm being simple, sinful if I'm just enjoying a moment, and we go, well, we're just supposed to concentrate on the serious business of God all the time. Sometimes the church has gone that way. Sometimes the Christian church has gone the other way, and we've gone too far the other way where we've just gone, well, we're not going to criticize pleasure. We're actually going to be consumers of pleasure, and we're going to consume pleasure as part of our faith. And for example, we're going to try to make Sunday morning as entertaining and exciting and fun all the time as it can possibly be. And we're going to serve up as much fun as we can and we're going to serve up as much enjoyment as we can and we're never going to go too deep and we're not going to impact life and we're not going to talk about when life is difficult. We're just going to be woo all the time. Neither of those is quite right. Neither of those seems quite right. I mean, even the voice in Ecclesiastes seems to find some value in pleasure. I mean, he goes, well, there's not a lot of meaning to it. Can't find significance to it. But he takes a deep breath and he goes, okay, um, pleasure's not going to fill my life with meaning, but there's a place for it. There's nothing inherently wrong with it. So he says in chapter 3, verse 4, scripture you've heard a million times, there's a time to cry and a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve and there's a time to dance. Pleasure and fun have a place in life just like grief does. There's a time for all of those. He says in verse 13, people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor for these are gifts from God. God's giving us something. He doesn't want us to go, I'm not going to enjoy that. No, God gives us the gift of, of, of eating and drinking and enjoying the fruit of our work, the results of our work, and it's a gift from God and to be enjoyed like that. Chapter 5, verse 18, he says, I have noticed one thing at least that is good, it is good for people to eat and drink and enjoy their work under the sun during the short life God has given them and to accept their lot in life. And it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. Well, this is indeed a gift from God. And I love the phrase that he uses over and over again of, it's good. It is good. It's a throwback to what God said as he created the world. Remember that story? Each day creates a part of the world. And at the end of the day, he looks at it. And what did he say? It's good. And then the next day, he, he created another piece. And at the end of the day, what did he say? It's good. And then, he, and then the third day, you know, God started creating things and started adding to the world that he was creating. And at the end of the day, it's not a trick question. It's the same answer. What did he say? It's good. It's good. It's like God took pleasure in creation. And, and, and we don't need to feel guilty over enjoying life sometimes, over enjoying a moment of pleasure. Jeff and I yesterday were at somebody's house for a barbecue and, and a pool, and we enjoyed it. We did not sit there going, well, I'm not allowed to enjoy this because I'm holy. That's, that's not fun. Our ability to enjoy pleasure is a gift from God. 
Chapter 8, verse 15, he said, so I recommend having fun because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. That way, they'll experience some happiness along with all the hard work that God gives them under the sun. Work is good, but it's not everything. And it's okay to have a break from work and to enjoy some pleasure. Pleasure's a good thing too. So he said in chapter 9, verse 7, so go ahead, eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. <laughs> can, I, can I just give you some thoughts about pleasure, how it all ties together, what the big picture is, some thoughts about just some suggestions about pleasure in life. Can I just, number one, here we go. Pleasure, pleasure on its own is, is meaningless. And we've said, we've said that it can be destructive if there's too much. We've said that without boundaries, it can really mess you up. The American dream, you know, is all about the pursuit of happiness. That's not in the Bible. All of that stuff, that's not there. But we're not called to be somber and unsmiling and sour either. We're not called to do that. That's not who Jesus was. That's not who God was. So number one, pleasure is part of God's creation. It's part of God's framework. You go, well, I don't, I don't know. Creation is a reflection of pleasure. Are you sure? Kinda. Have you ever thought about your taste buds? Why do we have them? They don't add nutrition to our lives, to my understanding. I'm not a doctor. But they don't add much to nutrition. They, don't, they just make us enjoy the food that we're eating. Our taste buds do. If I know I'm not allowed to talk about this, but if, if sex was only for procreation, there would be no point in it being pleasurable. Pleasure is part of God's creation. It's part of God's framework. Laughter. Can we just talk about laughter? I have seen some of you laugh. It's weird. Okay. Like, it's loud. It's this weird sound. Some of you snort while you laugh. Some of you get all red in the face and you have tears coming down and then you start gasping and you can't breathe and it bubbles up at the most inopportune time right in the middle of church. You're just trying to hold it back and not laugh. Why? It's pleasure. There's nothing else to laughter except pleasure. Sleep. How many here love a good night's sleep? Oh, there is nothing better, my friends, than a good night's sleep. And, you know, anything that I've read, again, not a doctor, but, but not a doctor, not a scientist, it seems to me they can't really figure out what sleep is, but if we don't have it, we die. And there is nothing more pleasurable than a good night's sleep. But all of these things are things that God has given. These are things that God has made part of his creation, things that made, God has made as part of his framework, and he included it in creation. And then he said, it's good. This is good. It's like God himself took some pleasure in creating a world that would benefit us and that would have some moments of enjoyment in it for us. We should enjoy God's creation. Yes? Number two, pleasure, just like work, we said this about work last week, pleasure has its proper place. It has its place, but it doesn't get to have God's place. Pleasure can't have God's place. It can't take the place of God. And on its own, separate from anything else, without any boundaries, pleasure is meaningless at best. And at worst, it's going to get in the way of your relationship with God. There's, there's this story in Scripture that Jesus told. 
And it's a parable. Parables are, are all kinds of stories that Jesus told that might not have been specifically true stories, but they're stories that are, are created to make a point, like a metaphor. And so Jesus used that often. And he had this one parable that he told that we have titled the parable of the seeds or the parable of the sower. And it's this story about a person whose job it is to, to scatter seeds, to plant seeds in a field, right? And in that time, they take a handful and then just just kind of throw it. And wherever it lands, it lands. And if it lands on good dirt, then something grows. And if it lands on rocks or thistles, then not so much. And so then Jesus explained later what this parable meant. And he said, he said, when I'm talking about, you know, the seeds being scattered like this, that's the message of God. I'm just throwing it out there and seeing where it lands. And where it lands determines whether those seeds take root or not. So, of course, the point is for God's message to take root in our lives. And what that means is we're the dirt, okay? So turn to the person beside you and go, we're the dirt, pastor called us dirt in church this morning. Okay, we're the dirt, and we got to decide what kind of dirt we're going to be. So Jesus, Jesus said God's message gets scattered, and then each of us responds differently, and some people reject it altogether. They go, I don't want nothing to do with that, and nothing takes root. And other people, others of us, you know, we're really good dirt, and the seed lands, and it, it digs in, and it takes root, and something really grows, and there's something amazing in our lives. But some, and we all know somebody like this, some start really well, and, and then pleasure takes over. So this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they never grow into maturity. We think... It's hard times that mess up our connection with God. That's what we think. When we struggle, we think that's what's going to challenge our faith. But Jesus lists three things that get in the way, and two of them are what we would call good times. Wealth and pleasure. And we all know people, some of us have been those people, who, who we kind of get a start on faith, maybe in a crisis, maybe in a really dark moment, and we turn to God and we come to Jesus and we go, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and I'm going to, that's it, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And we get a start on practicing faith and then we just kind of get distracted. And we just kind of drift away. We don't mean to. But, you know, somebody liked what I said on Facebook. Or, you know, this meal came up and it was a really good meal. Or I had a chance to go for coffee, so I did that instead of going to church on Sunday morning. And, and time goes by, and we, start, we don't even realize that we're, our faith is getting very shallow, and it's starting, to, it's starting to drift, and it's starting to dry up because we can't even remember the last time we cracked open our Bible or actually prayed other than to just say, hey, God, have a good day as we're walking out the door and heading off to work because life is good now, and maybe we don't need God so much. And so... We never grow into maturity because we let God get crowded out by pleasure, by fun, by the stuff that makes us feel good. You know, until it all falls apart. <laughs> and then we end up turning back to God again and we go, where did God go? Why isn't God here in this time? Why isn't my faith enough? Pleasure has its place, but not God's place. Not God's place. And, and pleasure is not enough to make our lives meaningful and significant. Can I give you a third one? 
be like a child. Be like a kid. Jesus said, be like a child. In Matthew 18, it says, Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. There's kind of a, another part in Luke 18 where it says, Jesus called for the children and said to the disciples, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. Now, I don't want to push the point too far, so I'm not going to go too far with the whole thing, okay? But can I just tell you something? Children play. Children have fun. Children know how to be silly sometimes. Can I just tell you, my first time at an orphanage in Ukraine, I went there because, and it was filled with children with different disabilities, and they were living in a pretty tough orphanage. It was a difficult place. It had been fixed up a little bit, but not all the way. And I was really expecting to see all kinds of suffering and sadness. And, I, and can I just tell you what those children were full of? Smiles. As they're working their way out, some of them are missing limbs, and they're, they're rolling up to me on a skateboard and pushing themselves on their hands. So can you play with me? The first time Jeff went to an orphanage in Ukraine, I was a little worried, going, I wonder how he's going to be. Is he going to be okay? And he walked into this room, and this little girl just ran across the room straight to him. He literally just walked in. She runs across the room, climbs up his body, wraps her arms around his head, and gives him a big smile like, let's play, Okay. Kids know how to play. Kids have fun. And sometimes we get so grown up and we're so busy adulting. And we don't, we forget what it is to be childlike and to play and to just, you know, enjoy the life that we have and to even be a little bit simple and a little bit silly and enjoy just the simple moments. Can I just, one of my favorite authors, G.K. Chesterton, lived about, I don't know, a century ago or so. And he wrote this book called Orthodoxy, which sounds very dry, but it's not. And this is what he said. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. How many have been that grown-up? <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It's possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It might not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Be childlike. Be like a kid. Laugh. Have fun. Enjoy moments of simple pleasure. And here's the last one. Practice contentment and gratitude. That's where it comes from. You know, one of the traps of pleasure is that it's never enough. And so you have this moment of pleasure, and instantly the temptation is to go, okay, I had that moment, now move on, and i got to find the next one. i got to find the next one, and then i got to find the next one. And it's never enough, and we never stop to actually marvel at the beauty of a sunset. 
We never pause to actually go, that chocolate tasted the best it's ever tasted in, in, the, in the longest time. And, and, we, and we, 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 or we go, you know, this writer who's writing this book or who's writing this stuff, it's not just that they're giving information, but they have this beautiful gift of finding just the right word and placing it in just the right place. And we get so busy chasing pleasure that we forget to be content with what we already have. And we forget to have gratitude for what we already have. There's this deceptive trap of pleasure to not savor the moment, but to just rush past it and look for more. Rather than letting contentment and gratitude fill our souls. We need to let contentment and gratitude fill our souls as we linger in a moment and just enjoy the pleasure that God has given us in the world that we're in. And scripture's full of, of all kinds of instructions to practice contentment and gratitude. And I've talked about that other times. And I'm not going to get into it now. But here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to end this morning, okay? It's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to ask you first if you would stand. Would you stand with me? And we're going to, we always try to take a moment to just reflect and hear God's word in our own hearts. So let's do that first. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Hold out your hands if it helps you be open to God. And go, God, now what do you want to say to me from this? God, what do you want to say to us from this? God, there are some of us, and for some of us, we're listening to this, and we're realizing that maybe we've let something, some kind of pleasure, just take first priority in our lives. And it's turning into an addiction. Or it's turning into something that's getting in the way and, and taking time away from my relationship with God, from my connection with God. is distracting me. Some of us at this moment, we just need to pause and go, God, is there, is there a habit that you want to change in our lives? And you go, Patty, like what? Well, I, you know, honestly, a couple weeks ago, I just turned off a lot of social media because I realized was wasting way too much time on it. And I changed the place where I pray just to shake it up a little bit and go, God, I actually would like to focus on you, whatever it is. Just pause and ask God to show you, is there something that's just starting to get distracting and starting to become a bit of an issue in your, in your faith? And then some of us were the opposite. Some of us are so serious all the time and we're working all the time and we have, you know, we, we've just forgotten how to be like a child. We've forgotten how to laugh at a joke. We just go, huh, when somebody tells a joke. We've forgotten how to smile. We've forgotten how to smell a rose as we walk by it. But God, you have given us these good gifts. You've placed us in a world that is beautiful. It's filled with wonder filled with all kinds of good things. God, would you fill us again with contentment and gratitude for all of the good things that you've given us? Would you help us to learn to take pleasure in the world that you've given us? Just take a moment and pray that prayer if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. And now here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to end this morning's service with a little bit of a smile. Is that okay if we do that? 
I asked our worship team if they would sing us out this morning with a song that we love to sing here, You Are Good. I sing because you are good. I dance. You can dance if you want because God is good. And then what's going to happen is they're going to lead us in the song, and I'll close us in prayer. You can, you can cut out if you need to. But then here's the other thing that I did, and it's, it's really spiritual. I went and bought a boatload of candy. And as you walk out of here, there's going to be ushers at the door holding bowlfuls of candy. And you can have some candy and enjoy that pleasure before you go down to have a waffle. We're just going to take the sugar right off the charts today. Okay? How many think we can enjoy life this morning? Right? Can we sing? Let's sing of God's goodness.